we always hear about talent shortage. I think that's actually a bit of a miss. There is talent, uh, but again, it's thinking creatively. It's not going after exactly the same people everyone else is going after uh, and having a very clear sort of strategy on what your point of differentiation is. I think today the, the, the workforce has changed, especially when it comes to tech where a lot of workers are willing to work on a consultant basis. So that for you as a founder, if you are operating a business, could be actually a good middle ground. And when it comes to people as well, you need to make sure, again, to go back to compliance, right? Making sure they have the right employment contract, be it a consultancy agreement, that they have the right infrastructure to work from, right? Even if you're working from home, right? How do you displace equipment? You should know about these nuances that actually, yeah, it's good to, to be flexible. But it's also good to have a hybrid model depending on the market. Southeast Asia is a very diverse region. Laws in one place are not the same as any other. And that affects financial services as well. Perhaps in some ways, even before you add people, you do want to set up entities in the region. You do want to set up bank accounts in the region so you can receive funding, you can receive revenue, you can pay your people, and so that you can have your people spend money as well in order to grow the business in the region, which presumably you're trying to do, right? Even if you're using it as a operational hub or engineering hub as is often the case, that you still need to pay your people. That actually adds a whole layer of difficulty given how different and in some cases how stringent banking regulations can be. Even in a place like Singapore, which is one of the most business-friendly environments in the world. Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us in this discussion of growth beyond borders, powering expansion. Great to have all of you guys here. So we have with us on this panel, leaders, executives, seasoned professionals who have made it their mission and their work in the various organizations that they're in to really help businesses expand in various aspects from talent to financial management. So really honored to have uh, three of them here with us on this panel. So I'll have them introduce themselves very briefly and also uh, hype you guys up for the discussion afterwards. So first off, I wanted to bring on a welcome Karen Nung, who is the expansion leader for Deal in ASEAN, India and North Asia as well. Welcome, Karen, and thanks for joining us this afternoon. Maybe a quick introduction and also briefly, what are the exciting opportunities that you're seeing from where you are uh, when it comes to business expansion and growth in Southeast Asia? Thank you, Paolo. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for your time today. My name is Karen. I'm Dardine from Singapore. So I head the region for deal with global HR companies. So we help companies going to growth beyond borders. So that's a topic really close to us. I'm particularly excited because we've, ourselves as a company, we've actually launched in Indonesia and, and next, in the next couple of weeks in, in Malaysia itself. So really seeing right, Southeast Asia shine for us. So really happy to be sharing maybe what I see right uh, within our customer base, but also what I see on a personal level. Thank yeah, you. definitely. Deal is a great example of just the world becoming more interested in, in Southeast Asia. So yeah, great news on the expansion there. And second in our panel, is Thomas Jeng, the Singapore GM for Aspire. It's really great to have somebody from Aspire, a portfolio company of Insignia Ventures on as well on this panel. So welcome, Thomas. Uh, yeah, quick introduction. And what are you excited about when it comes to business expansion in Southeast Asia? For sure. Thanks for having me and great to be here as well. Uh, for those of you not familiar, Aspire is a fintech based in Singapore. Uh, we are increasingly trying to go global uh, with our business accounts, uh, multi-currency services, and our corporate cards products. Uh, we're also rolling out a suite of APIs in the very near future. Uh, for myself, I oversee the commercial operations in Singapore overall, uh, so leading the business here. Um, one very exciting development, or really a series of them that we've seen over the past few years, is that ASEAN businesses or Southeast Asian businesses are increasingly going global. Uh, historically, 
Southeast Asia was more of a commodities-driven economy. People were just exporting various agricultural goods, tin, whatever commodities that were in the global market. We do see increasingly, especially in a more digital age, companies in the region exporting services, software, more sophisticated offerings overall. And we're very happy to be a part of that. Yeah, so it's both ways. You have folks like Deal from the rest of the globe coming into South Asia, and then you have businesses like Aspire from Southeast Asia targeting the world. So that's great for the region. And finally, last but not least on our panel, we have Ollie Riches, who is a Senior Managing Director at Michael Page and really experienced HR leader. So really excited to have him on this panel. Uh, Ollie, quick intro, and uh, what are you excited about in Southeast Asia? Yeah, thanks, Paolo, and good afternoon to everybody. So quick introduction, Michael Page, for those not aware, is a British public-listed executive recruitment company. Been operating about 45 years, so one of the larger players globally. I started my career in London and then moved to mainland China in 2006 to set up our China operations and then on to Jakarta in 2013 to do a similar thing across Southeast Asia, starting with Indonesia and then building our operations across six Southeast Asian countries, Singapore, where I'm based now, very much the head office for us across Asia Pacific. So I've spent the last 16, 17 years in, in this region, very much promoting the opportunities in this region to companies looking to either expand in various parts of it or accelerate their growth into various markets across uh, the region. Reason to be excited, Southeast Asia, I still think is quite early in its journey, but PE, BC firms are more and more coming to us saying that we have to have bigger portfolios in Southeast Asia. We have multinational companies telling us it's a must-have rather than a nice-to-have and and that has shifted, I think, partly because of some of the dynamics happening in, in North Asia with, with the, you know, China and, and some of the challenges there. And that Southeast Asia is very well positioned uh, to take advantage of that. And it's a very compelling story, but it just needs more communication, I think. And then people on this panel certainly are, are part of that ecosystem as well. So very happy to expand on any parts of that as we go through the next hour or so. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Ali. Really great to have some experienced storytellers of Southeast Asia's growth here in our discussion this afternoon. So we, once again, we have leaders from Deal, Aspire, Michael Page joining with us to talk about expansion, especially into Southeast Asia, which is a very expansive topic in itself. We could spend an entire, I remember we, we joked off, ses off session, entire Netflix series just talking about, just talking about this topic. But I think in particular, there are some markets that are very interesting and there are also some challenges that need to be overcome first before really talking about expansion. So I wanted to ask all our panelists today, what are some of the top challenges this has come to you to solve when entering Southeast Asia from your field of expertise? We have a quite diverse field here. And yeah, maybe you can identify, pinpoint some of those before we head into the, the business hacks section of our discussion. Karen, you can go ahead and go first. Sure. I guess the one word that always come up for us is compliance, right? So doing business in Singapore is not the same as doing business in Indonesia or Malaysia or Vietnam or Philippines, right? And so are the labor laws, so navigating those labor laws, right? So when you hire someone in Singapore, we talk about CPF, we talk very quite straightforward, right? But when you talk about hiring someone in Vietnam, there are a series of different uh, statutory funds that come into place. So if you look at the at Deal website, we actually have quite a bit of resources that we've put in place to help business entrepreneurs, to help like the HR community to get acquainted. And even for you as an employee, right? So if you're joining us today as a remote worker that you've been working or you're considering, right, work for, let's say, you're, you're based somewhere else, you're considering to work for a company in the, um, based in the US, for example, 
what you should be asking for in terms of how do you calculate your statutory funds and also in terms of taxes, right? So yeah, I would say for us, it's, it's compliance. For Thomas, what challenges do you see? Yeah, so I echo what Karen said about compliance. I think that is a significant issue that most of our clients and partners deal with on a regular basis. To the word compliance, I would add fragmentation. Southeast Asia is a very diverse region. As Karen mentioned, laws in one place are not the same as any other. And that affects financial services as well. Perhaps in some ways, even before you add people, or actually maybe after you add people, given what, what deal can do, you do want to set up entities in the region. You do want to set up bank accounts in the region so you can receive funding, you can receive revenue, you can pay your people, and so that you can have your people spend money as well in order to grow the business in the region, which presumably you're trying to do, right? Even if you're using it as a operational hub or engineering hub, as is often the case, you still need to pay your people. That actually adds a whole layer of difficulty given how different and in some cases how uh, stringent banking regulations can be. Even in a place like Singapore, which is one of the most business-friendly environments in the world, it can take up to two to three months, sometimes even four to six months for companies with foreign directors to, to create a bank account. And so that leads to a lot of challenges for people that are trying to get operational. I actually faced this personally when I was trying to set up a business in the region, creating a corporate entity in Singapore, no problem, but creating a bank account took us like two to three months, which actually led to the delay of a key project that we were trying to drive. And so this is a challenge I know firsthand. Even moving beyond that, once you have the bank set up and you have teams all throughout the region, which is very common, you then have to figure out how to get all of them uh, on the same page, make sure they're working with the similar budgets, and there's transparency across everything and certainly accounting control. And so because you have likely have people scattered throughout so many different places, that becomes an extra and even greater level of difficulty as well. Yeah, definitely can't underestimate the, the fragmentation of Southeast Asia. For Ali, compliance 343 for this one? Or are, are there other challenges that you've seen in your experience? Yeah, I know we're here to promote Southeast Asia, but there, there clearly are challenges and I could write a book on, on how many. But I thought China was tricky, but Southeast Asia, as Thomas has alluded to, every country has its own culture, business, business-wise, as well as people-wise. So navigating that is, it does take patience. And as Karen alluded to as well, the regulatory areas, and I've spent a lot of time with Minister Manpowers who on one side are telling you, we want to grow the country and we want to be competitive. At the same time, they're putting all kinds of restrictions in place, particularly around talent. Some of that is protectionism to enable local the local population to develop through and localization, nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, if you're investing in a country, which you don't really know, you, can, you really want trust and communication so you can make the right decisions to ensure your, your investment pays off. And, and that's where the challenge can, can lie. Um, and you know, visa restrictions and all these kind of things are, are very much part of that. Um, so for me, it really comes down to the, the risk appetite a company has, how determined are they um, come into market? How long are they looking to be in market, it is not a short-term option. You do need to be into the long-term and that's regulatory, but also in terms of the people you get to connect with. And it's very relationship that across Southeast Asia, that is a consistent factor. A lot of it's that who as much as what to enable business to, to grow. We always hear about talent shortage. I think that's actually a bit of a myth. There is talent, uh, but again, it's thinking creatively. It's not going after exactly the same people everyone else is going after and having a very clear sort of strategy on what your point of differentiation is, which I think we may be coming on to later, uh, Paolo, in terms of some questions. But, but there's many challenges, but 
There's also many companies who have set up across Southeast Asia very successfully. So there are case studies there, which can be, can be looked at across pretty much all industries. There's also companies who maybe haven't gone it right. And they can also be quite useful to look at in terms of not, and sometimes hiring from those companies can help because if someone's made that mistake once, they're unlikely to make it a mistake again. So that's my point about being a little bit creative in your thinking when you are looking at your hiring strategy, which can look confusing and, and disjointed, as Thomas says, when you're trying to go around various parts of the um, Southeast Asia region. Yeah, and, and that's why we're all here uh, this afternoon to actually learn from each other and try to circumnavigate those challenges and, and reduce the risks of those, those uncertainties expanding into the region. And just to pick up on your point on the talent shortage myth and really thinking creatively about bringing in talent, attracting talent when expanding into, into the region, Oli, maybe you can dive a little bit deeper into that and maybe share some examples or, of thinking creatively when it comes to attracting talent and then... Yeah, the first answer is clearly you should use the right provider, but we're not here to sell Michael Page so blatantly. The things like returnees, looking at your sort of, you're coming with investment from overseas, how can you tap into, for example, Indonesians based in the US or based in Europe? It's never been a better time to come back career-wise because there are probably better opportunities back at home than there are overseas at the moment. It's just knowing what those opportunities are. And that's where the downfall comes. It's the it's lack of knowledge about what, if I do go home, what does that mean? And often people have a perception of what home was like, and that has shifted. And, and the dynamics in all of these economies have shifted. So the, the opportunities are there. And most companies we talk to, their preference is somebody from country who has some international experience. And I'm talking more your leadership, mid-management and above levels. But that's one thing which certainly is tapping into overseas networks. The other thing which we're seeing more and more now is companies looking at inclusivity as part of their uh, employee value proposition. So DE&I has been on the agenda for a while. Inclusivity as a whole, even in Singapore alone, uh, which is, as Karen said, it's, it's, it has a perception of being easier. I'm not sure it always is. That there's 100,000 professionals with disabilities in Singapore alone, all looking for roles, uh, all looking for opportunities across various different skill sets, but are never really on the radar. For example, and it's not a blame thing, it's just that's an opportunity because that can also then lead to culture and, and other things, which we know Gen Z millennials are very keen on purpose-driven businesses, particularly startups and companies expanding early. There's an opportunity there to really put your brand ahead of this, but then you need to back it up with your hiring strategy. They're not just hiring the same demographic. You, you have to look broader. So that inclusivity piece is easy to say in a boardroom and then be pushed down the agenda, but from a hiring perspective. It's very compelling. I think COVID and everything else which went with it has enabled hybrid working uh, much more easily across the region as a whole, which has opened up different talent pools, which maybe didn't necessarily weren't on the radar before, should have been, but weren't, and now are becoming more. So there's just two ideas. There's obviously others as well, but you know, referral campaigns and various other bits and pieces, but they would be two that we're seeing successfully implemented by companies and not necessarily the larger MNCs. Yeah, really expanding your radar to, to capture people that you may not have been looking at before, I think really important. And yeah, I've had a lot of uh, different portfolio companies as well that uh, told us that because of the pandemic, they've actually been able to get more engineering talent, get exposed to more engineering talent, especially because of the, the new work arrangement, remote work arrangement, which leads me into my next question for Thomas, as with Aspire being a multinational startup, venture-backed startup, now scale-up, how has that experience been of also scaling that remote management of team that is spread out across different geographies and growing, hiring really fast as well? Yeah, you know, I think it's a really interesting question and I would not say that we have solved it by any stretch of the imagination. We try to 
ensure that client-facing teams and market-facing teams are in the market uh, with the clients as much as possible. On the other hand, uh, for operational or engineering teams, uh, we do uh, try to balance cost-effectiveness as well as availability of talent. And so in order to do that, we've created clusters throughout the region, uh, ops uh, in Malaysia and Indonesia, and engineering in Vietnam as well as India. And so in all of these cases, uh, we do try to have senior leaders visit. Uh, we try to fly uh, some of the managerial talent around the region as well uh, to make sure that they're staying in touch with the rest of the company. For client-facing teams, uh, whenever we do have remote teams, we do try to get them together and uh, do whatever we can through swag, through events, through activities, uh, through visits by senior leadership that help them feel like uh, they are part of the organization as a whole. Yeah, I really like that idea of clustering. I guess it's really important to know what kind of talent you're looking for in different geographies. And those reasons can really vary. I think a lot of people set up engineering teams in specific markets as well, or ops teams, uh, depending on, on the location and all of that. And so once you do find that talent, once you've identified a market or you tap into these talent pools, what can you do to reduce the admin burden? Yeah, so in, in Singapore, we started here, uh, I think we are actually are technically an, an American hold co uh, at the very top, but uh, the main operations we have are in Singapore. We, we do hire directly, we do build directly through our entity in Singapore. For Aspire in Indonesia as well, this has been a strategic market for us, and, and that was also the case in Vietnam. In, in markets like India, where we don't have commercial interest directly, we actually have used EOR providers. So we employ our full team in India via an employment or employer record uh, organization and pay them out that way. Yeah, great learnings for our audience here this afternoon from Aspire. Karen, anything to add in terms of what businesses can look out for and make sure not to miss when it comes to setting those entities up as Thomas has illustrated? I think there's one thing maybe to go back to what Oliver was saying earlier. I think what we see is there's a talent shortage, right? So that's a fact. Right. So there is, of course, with the will to actually grow beyond borders, which means, okay, I want to set up an office in Malaysia. I want to have a business needs to set up right in, in Indonesia. But ultimately today, when you look at the talent landscape is you can't find the, sometimes the talent onshore, right? Be it for cost or even skill set. So as a, as a business owner, you have to diversify your, so you need to open up. And that's what we've seen so that now there's enough of hires that actually are being hired outside of Singapore, outside of their whole country, because they can't find the talent. So that's one. I would say then once they find the talent to, to answer your question, it would be maybe to define their work status. So today, as we know, we always talk about full-time employment, right? I'm a full-time employee with the company. I get paid my CPF and, and that's it. I have 20 days of annual leave and that's it. I think today the, the, the workforce has changed, especially when it comes to tech where a lot of workers are willing to work on a consultant basis. So that for you as the founder, if you are operating a business, could be actually a good middle ground, right? So one is overcoming, right? So the fact to, that you need to go and open an entity just to get a few people on board, right? And as Thomas was saying, could actually opening the entity could be easy, but then getting a bank account is a different story, right? And getting as well someone to manage that, that, that office. So all of those today you need to, to consider. And that's why I guess our, one of our core service, right? The employment of record actually came about and is very popular today amongst the, among com companies, right? So I think in terms of admin, absolutely. And when it comes to people as well, you need to make sure again, to go back to compliance, right? Making sure they have the right employment contract, be the consultancy agreement, that they have the right infrastructure to work from. 
right? Even if you're working from home, right? How do you disperse equipment? I, I give you an example, right? So our team in Hong Kong, people actually prefer to go to the office. So if you are hiring people in Hong Kong, you should be, you should know about these nuances that actually, yeah, it's good to, to be flexible, but it's also good to have a hybrid model depending on the market that you yeah, I think, again, really hammering down that point of Ollie's earlier about really being creative, like you don't have to stick to one arrangement necessarily, but depending on the function, really juggle between consultants and then point of record and all of that. I guess it's the benefits. I think maybe Ollie can um, chime in. I think benefits today compared to yesterday is actually different. And there's no one size fits all. Like I, I always say this, like in the couple of years ago, the, the typical benefit that an employee or an employer would give is health insurance, right? That's nice to have. It's a, for some companies, nice to have. So for some, it's a must. But today, the benefits change, right? Especially after COVID, I think a lot of people are looking for more flexibility and other type of benefits, not your usual, just the health insurance. Yeah. Oli, did you want to add uh, onto the, the benefits discussion? I think that's an interesting point. Yeah, I agree. And this is an opportunity for employers as well. Back to my creative thinking view. And it's not as easy as it sounds, don't, don't get me wrong, but it also depends on the market. So in the Philippines, for example, healthcare is a huge part of the benefits package and people will not move jobs unless the healthcare at least matches or prove. But in some other markets, people are very happy to take a cash allowance and make their own decision on where they want to spend it, whether it's on healthcare, whether it's on transport, whatever it might be. And this goes back again that Interestingly, in, in the Philippines, when Bangkok, Manila, Jakarta, we have 80% of our people coming back to the office every day. And they're probably the most congested cities anywhere in the world. In Singapore, it's 35%, which is the easiest city to get to the office in. So Karen's absolutely right. You, you have to know the local nuances to then create a strategy, which is relevant to that particular market. I also don't think there's necessarily, a, you have to follow everybody else on this as well, because the surveys we do. Flexibility is pretty high up in terms of what candidates are looking for. Number one is always career progression, very closely followed by salary. On the other side of it, companies are now doing, we're seeing quite rightly, is with the market uncertainties and, and conditions going on, that drive for profit and, and cost management is, is clearly essential. So putting more emphasis on the incentive side of the package rather than the guaranteed basic soon enables you to see who has the mindset that is based around growth and origination rather than just another job. And in Indonesia is quite interesting with the unicorns dominated the talent landscape for a few years. And it was very much partly be part of the national pride of, of building a unicorn. And you know, we rode that wave as well. We hired significantly into those companies across tech, commercial, across the uh, back office. That has really changed now. So if you're a tech firm right now looking to hire in Indonesia, it's actually a candidate market. Uh, sorry, it's very much a client market. So there's a lot of candidates where that dream hasn't quite materialized, who are clearly on the market again. And, and some of these unicorns are still downsizing. So if you were hiring in Indonesia two years ago, it was very scarce and people were able to ask for 40, 50% increases on salary. And often they were paid that, which is partly why these companies are having to re-engineer or reverse that whole, the whole policy. So it's an interesting world at the moment, because if in Indonesia, if I'm a tech startup right now, perfect time to go and hire Indonesia because you've got the talent pool. Yes, there's elections and there's other things coming on, but we know with Indonesia, invariably, there's a stability which carries through. You've got to be a little bit brave with your shareholders to explain to them that we're going to get going now. Don't wait. If you wait after the election, everybody will then be aligning again, and then the talent comes scarce again. So you do need to judge each market on its merits. Philippines, a lot of Filipinos overseas, and it's the biggest industry in the Philippines, is actually, as we know, repatriation of money back into the Philippines. The perception of those people don't want to come home, and I alluded to this earlier, 
not true. They are very interested in coming back, particularly to startups and being part of that growth. So that's, that's what we're saying. But on the benefit side, incentivized packages are becoming the norm. And that's across not just sales and marketing, that's across all industry, all disciplines linked to the growth and success of the company. People are wanting loyalty these days works now because people for the first time in some of these markets have seen colleagues being made redundant, which they'd never seen before. And as a result, that sort of risk appetite is a little bit less. So they are looking for longer term stability and an opportunity to build a career. So that plays all to the employer's benefit. Two years ago, I would have told you it's chaos. And it was whoever had the biggest pockets won or who was ever most decisive won and the unicorn dominated that. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear and also interesting that you talked about how just there's so much opportunity in terms of talent available to access thanks to a lot of different factors that we've covered so far. But at the same time, I think in this market, a lot of startups are also thinking about costs and spending and all of these other constraints, right? How much should I spend on benefits, vis-a-vis pay? How many people should I hire in this market? So on and so forth. So I wanted to direct this question to Aaron and Oli. How then do you try to upskill or equip, especially a lean HR team working at a tech company, venture-backed tech company, especially to set the right enough kind of like infrastructure and policies, for example, to be able to grow teams in various markets that we've discussed so far. Thank you for joining us on this call. Make sure you get notified on when to dial in by following us wherever you're listening to us. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, toss in a like, and let us know if you'd like to hear more of this topic in the comments. See you all in our next call.